This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we have a little bit different episode for you. My guest today is a college tennis player who is currently at University of Texas in Tyler, so it's UT Tyler. He is from Russia, and his name is Igor Shestikov. He is a senior at UT Tyler this year, has been on the tennis team all four years and does all sorts of work with kids in the summers and on his school breaks, um, does coaching, but is pursuing a degree in economics with two minors and likely going on to graduate school. So this is a young man who has some very specific goals and a lot of drive to help him achieve those goals. I'm super, super excited to have him on and to have you here a different perspective on junior tennis and college tennis and college recruiting, what that looks like for someone coming from a country so far away that doesn't have direct access to campus visits and coaches watching them play and all of these things. So I think you're going to find Igor's story very, very interesting. I will have his contact info in the show notes. I will also have a link to an article that I wrote years and years ago, um, and you'll hear us reference that in the conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Igor Shestikov. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Igor, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I am so grateful that you reached out to me and so looking forward to chatting with you about your tennis journey. Hello. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. It's a first time opportunity for me being on a podcast, talking about my journey and tennis, and I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear your story and to have you share it with our audience. And I, I feel very honored that we're here first. So we will we'll <laughs> just rest on those laurels for a moment. But um, before we start digging in to the details, I would love, love, love for you to share with the Parenting Aces community how you found tennis, how you got started playing the game. And tell us where you're from and, and all of that. Okay, so I'm from a rather interesting town called Kaliningrad, which is uh, which used to be a former former German town, used to be called Königsberg, but Russia took it over after the World War II. So I'm from that exclave that's closer to Poland and Lithuania than to Russia. So I'm not di- my city is not directly connected to big mother Russia. So. Uh, the way I started. So I was, I think, seven or eight. And my dad is a coach. And I'm from a very sporty family. So my mother is a fitness coach. She she teaches some fitness classes and yoga. And my dad, he's an engineer by education. But uh, I mean, in 90s, when it's when it's all started, uh, the situation in the country wasn't really well. And I mean, still it isn't well. So, I mean, tennis coaches earned good money. And mm-hmm. uh they earn better than engineers. <laughs> what? So yeah, that that's in most cases that's the way it is. Wow. So and my dad just decided to okay, I'll I'll pick up this for profession. He still enjoys it. He still coaches. He works like ten to twelve hours every day, uh, and he loves it. He's in a great shape. So since I was seven, 
my dad was coaching me up until 13. And we can actually talk about that later about, you know, the challenges of being a coach parent, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I experienced myself. Uh, but then after that, uh, my my dad couldn't keep up with me and it was a little bit hard. We, we were arguing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So the process wasn't really, you know, productive. So uh, my coach, uh, my next coach, uh, his name is Artur, Arthur Novikov, uh, incredible coach. So he, what he did, he I was like one of the best players in my state, in my city. And he he basically picked me up and allowed me to be in his group. Uh, and I only paid for the for the courts. So I never paid to my coach in like from the age 12 to 18, pretty much. So he wow. I I give him a lot of credit and he basically saved me and allowed me to, you know, get where I am today. So that that was it. Uh, from the age of 12 to 18, I started training training more seriously i was also playing other sports like soccer mostly like street not organized not like mm-hmm. in america you know just street football street soccer like that's how we do it and uh, and then so by the time i was 14 i didn't play too much of a junior tennis like i didn't play i played maybe one tournament under 12 internationally and it was funny because it was like Lithuanian national tournament and I represented Lithuanian club. So, <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, I pretty much skipped everything for teens. And when one of my, one of my friends, he went to college, uh, he went to Lamar university in Vermont. I kind of felt like maybe I can do it. So uh, by the time I was 15, I started actually playing tournaments and playing more of international tournaments because I needed to get uh, recognized international ranking, ITF, Tennis Europe, and then it became later, you know, UTR was what, what's really good now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how it all started. And after that, I, I did pretty decently in juniors. I didn't play too much. Uh, you know, funding was hard. So, but we'll talk about that later. And, uh, and then I, I got into college in the U S and now it's my, it's my senior year. So. Wow. Wow. Did you know about college tennis before your friend came to the States to play? Was that something that was on your radar at all? I never really cared. And I mean, when I was 14, 13, like, I hope, you know, it's, it's not really a big deal for (laughs) other people. You know, you got to focus on things that, you know, you have to focus on like, you know, school and tennis and tennis is still, you know, it, it was to me, it was more of an escape in a, like a safe place where I can, you know, try different things and actually be very comfortable and be, it's just a very interesting playground to be in. And mm-hmm. to me, that was always a, what tennis is. I didn't think about other things really. I just loved being on the court. Uh, but yeah, I mean, by the, like 14, 15, I, I kind of figured out, yeah, there is some opportunity to play college. You know, there are people living. I mean, we have, I had maybe three or four friends from my city that were older and that, that left to the U.S. Some of them are, most of them are living in the U.S. now. So, Wow. Did you ever have aspirations to play professional tennis? Well, I'm from that situation. Like, let me tell you. Okay. So it was hard for me for my family to pay $200 a month for practice for courts. Uh, I never paid to my coach and I was lucky. So, I mean, $200 uh, <laughs> for just for training. Plus, I mean, counting for all the transportation, traveling, whatever. I felt like I'm, I'm not that good. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't think about it. I just, I wanted to go to US. I wanted to make the most out of it. Uh, I knew I'm good enough. I knew I can beat those guys who, and I always loved being beating those guys who, you know, travel around, go to like the best academies. And I still beat them, you know, being from middle of nowhere, pretty much. So there was, there was some, some love into that. What do you attribute that to? I mean, were you physically stronger? Were you tactically better, mentally Uh, stronger? I, I was not athletic. I mean, I've, 
I was an athletic freak. Like the ice, my dad sent me a video of me 10 years old, been doing some basic, like jumping on one leg, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth, like, you know, high jumping. Like I, I still suck at that. I still suck at bro jumps and, you know, versus I wasn't really good. I mean, what I think was good is I, I was able to take the ball earlier than other people. I was able to hit the ball harder and I was able to read the play maybe a little bit better than the the rest of but the thing is i was just i was always better at working more than other kids i was better at focusing being prepared managing my time i think i did that better and i and is the the older i got i think the better i got at that do you feel like those are skills that your parents instilled in you or did it come from your tennis coach or do you feel like it's just something you were born with or maybe a combination of all those things? It's a it's a mix of factors. I think my parents did a really good job of actually teaching me how to work hard. And I mean, there was one incident that I, I remember that got into my head last three years. Uh, so I I was practicing and I like I was maybe 10, right? Mm-hmm. So my dad had has mostly like adult clients, right? And I was just like I wanted extra practice. So I was just a hitting partner for all of them. And that could be like three hours in a row, four hours in a row. They do what they need to work on, and I'm just there hitting with them. Right. And uh so I remember that I, you know, I was maybe third hour or something, and I just told my dad, like man, I'm tired. I don't want that. Right. And, uh, he was like, okay, sit down rest. And, and after that, uh, I think my mother, like she picked me up and like, maybe next day she was like, like, son, uh, if you want to do something great in tennis, there is no such, or in life, there is no such word as tired. This word is not allowed. And I was thinking about like throughout my whole upbringing, my parents never said I'm tired. There was no such thing as I'm tired. Like my mother worked, you know, has a business and a tennis and a fitness job and she combines it. My dad goes for 12 hours on the court and uh, I've never heard them saying, oh, I'm tired. I've never heard them, you know, just laying down on the couch and like, OK, I don't want to do anything like th- there is always something like you have to do things. You may not like it, but you have to. And and I think that 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 helped me. Seeing that example helped me unconsciously because I saw that, yeah, I mean, they never complain and their life is probably harder than mine. <laughs> so yeah. that was the training environment. I I mean, that, that was a foundation. And then when we had like training, I was always on time. I was prepared. I was, I would take a bus that would be like hour and a half long ride to the courts from one part of the city to another. And I still kind of managed, you know, to to be on time, be prepared, bring my water with me, bring my rackets, whatever, have them strong. Uh, but it was, yeah, I I, I noticed that, yeah, I, I, compared to those kids, I'm actually like hardworking. Like I, I, I get my stuff together and it got better and better over the years. So you, there is something that you learn about yourself that makes you better at things, but it's also the environment that teaches you how to handle those. So it's both environment and you within yourself, I think. Well, it sounds like your parents were modeling very positive behaviors and positive mindset that that was what you knew, right? That's how things were done in your home. And that was the expectation. And it it doesn't sound like that, you know, you took advantage of that or even like the day you were describing where you said you were tired, nobody yelled at you. Nobody made you feel bad about that. It was just, you know, okay, that, you know, if that's what you want to do, okay. But understand that if you want to reach this high level with anything, tired can't be part of the equation. Yeah. And uh, that's completely true. Like my parents never yelled at me too much. My it, it, It made me feel a little bit, you know, uncomfortable, but it was never, you know, you did that bad like you you need to like it they made this come from within and that's that's a it's incredible art of parenting and i think that's one of the toughest things for sure yeah 
Yeah. Let's talk about you having your dad as your coach. And um, this topic comes up so much on parenting aces and our discussion groups and things like that, where like, how do you balance, you know, if you're the parent and the coach and from where I sit and I never, I'm not a tennis coach, so I never coached my son, but, you know, I was around a lot of people that were parents and coach. Um, And for me, it's an impossible task. I don't know how anybody succeeds wearing both hats for the duration of their child's tennis. I, you know, for a short period of time, okay, when they're younger. But um, I'd be curious how your father balanced that. And then what made y'all come to the decision that it was time for him to step back as your coach and for somebody else to step in? So, well, obviously it was not only the father that supported me in my tennis. I mean, I think we can also start with grandparents. Okay. Like a uh, little side story. So my my granddad would always come to my junior tournaments. Like I played locally, like and some league matches, like 10 under, 12 under, 14 under, whatever. And they would drive me because I used to stay at my grandma's house for the summer. Like I needed to give my parents a little break, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, is it just they, you or do you have brothers and sisters? I have a brother that that's 12 years old now so we have 10 years different and oh, he's wow. completely he's completely different. Yeah. But anyway, uh back to the story. So they would drive me like my grand up until I was maybe 12. They would go with me to and it also took like hour and a half. So not easy, uh but it it's, it was a good support system because you know I was maybe 12 and I played a tournament and uh, I just made a mistake, but we played a good point with my opponent and I saw my granddad clapping. Right. And I, I was upset about that. And uh, then like it was a rain delay and I talked to my granddad. I was like, what, why are you clapping against me? Like, what are you doing? So he was like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and then four years later, I'm I'm playing prize money tournament in uh, in Russia, and uh, my opponent makes a double fold, and my granddad granddad is there, and my opponent makes a double fold, and he still claps. Where every point I win, he claps. He doesn't care. He just he, I told him to do that, and and like unconditionally, he would just yeah, let's go, vamos, vamos. So that was important. My my mom. That was actually the bigger struggle wait, wait, for me. Wait. Why was that important? Because I always knew I have somebody by my, by my side. No matter if I'm playing really bad or if I'm playing really good, I'm I'm like you know you like he just claps. Like every point I win, I have somebody to reinforce that, and but, you know that that gave me some some fuel, some positivity, even when I struggled. And it's it's really tough thing because you kind of go against the the respects and norms of like tennis crowd. Like you, you like somebody makes a mistake and you still clap. It's not good, but you know he didn't care about the other person. He cared about me more, and I I valued it so much. <laughs> and it, uh, you know by the time I was sixteen, I just made a little bit of fun of it. But he still kept clapping on even on the you know bad points or whatever. You know as long as I win. Let me ask you this though, Igor. If it had been your mom or your dad doing that, do you think you no, would have reacted no, the no, same way? No, no, no. It's the no, fact no. that it was Gra- your grandparents. Grandparents allowed. Yeah. Thing is, with my mother, never. I, I freaked out up until I was maybe 18 when my mother came came on the court and watched. It was re- like, I, like, I was emotional. Still am emotional. And, uh, you know, I would like, you know, I would try to be so good, try to, you know, it would add up just so much pressure on me that I just couldn't handle playing in front of my dad. Easy. No problem. But playing in front of my mother, like it was so tough. So she just, she didn't show up. Uh, I just told them like, my mom, I can't do it. Like, I think there is something about it maybe inside of me that I, you know, I overcame that and I allowed my mother to come to my tennis matches, but now I'm in the U S so <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, But yeah, but it wasn't anything that she did that caused you to feel that stress. It was just something self-induced, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Self-induced. She just existed there. She like, you know, zero emotion, but I still felt felt pretty bad about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, she was okay with that. She was like, yeah, 
I'll just, I'll just step out, you know, and she felt better about it because, you know, it's, it's actually like for me too, it's way harder to watch you, the people you care about play rather than playing yourself. Yes. Like I watch my teammates play when it's three, three, like I'm getting heart attacks every other point. <laughs> like I'm playing, I'm more or less stable now. Right. So, right. so it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, so back to your dad being your coach and making that decision to hand you off to another coach or you make maybe you made the decision to say dad you're fired I'm I'm going over to this other guy. <laughs> so so first of all it was always obviously you know money situation right like tennis is expensive coaching is expensive and we tried like one group uh with some other kids it didn't work out I didn't feel like I'm improving. We tried some other ways. And uh, I mean, it was rather obvious, like, you know, uh, it's coaching situation is, you know, there is a coach, he gives you a feedback. It was just too much arguing going on. Like, I couldn't agree with him on plenty of topics. And I think he was maybe a little too technical on me. And uh, I think that happens quite often with uh, parents, coaches that they, they get really fixated on the technique too much, I think, and they get into their kid's head like, like you gotta you gotta touch the ball this way, you gotta look have the, have to have this certain form. Uh while it is it matters a lot, technique matters a lot, but it is just my dad told me about that two years ago. He's like, Man, I'm looking old all the old videos and you you move bad. Like you move bad, your your strokes look good when the ball doesn't move away from you, but when the ball moves, you move, you don't move well. So that was, he understood and maybe he doesn't know, he doesn't know how to help as well. It's, it's, it's a lot of humility to accept that I, I gave my best and I don't think I'll be able to help you. So maybe let's try to see what we can do about it and try to, how can we improve your game by, you know, finding better options that's that's a lot of humility and you have to be aware of that i love that you recognize that because i think a lot of 20 somethings um don't have the life experience or the maturity to recognize how difficult what your father did is and um you know i think that's a real testament to the way you were raised that you understand the sacrifices that your family made to help you achieve this goal that you had for yourself. Right. And um, so I think that's really cool. When your dad was coaching you, did you find that there, that it was difficult for him to take off the coach hat and put on the dad hat? And was it difficult for you to talk to him as coach versus talking to him as dad and to move in between those two worlds. I like, I have some experience coaching here in the U S mm -hmm. and I, I don't like there is always, it's not easy, but I think my dad did not the perfect job, but pretty damn good job of that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I finished the match. There is one hour we talk about it. Like maybe give me some time to process it by myself. And then, you know, after we leave the court, okay, let's go get ice cream. Let's put some music. We are okay. Like tennis is a game. So it, I, I, it was harder for like processing the matches and, you know, having that tough ride home mm -hmm. wasn't too big of a deal after competition to me. It was more during practice and after practice. I remember I would maybe like be 10, 11, and I struggled during practice. And my mother would pick me up and I would just cry all, all the way through about, you know, how like I'm, you know, I'm I'm very self-critical. I'm like, oh, I'm so bad. I can't do this. I can't, you know, and, and that was tough. Uh, after competition, thankfully, or just in general, my dad managed really well. He managed those roles pretty good. Uh, and I mean, we, when he was coaching me, we just did some plenty of other fun things. Like we would go fishing together. We would all like, there was always a tradition of let's play every Saturday. We play football, uh, like all our tennis people, we would gather and like kids and adults, we would go around and play soccer. You guys call it soccer. Yeah. So 
So, so we did things other than tennis that helped us bond and uh, so that we can have some sort of a balance between. It was not always about tennis. And I think that like for other parents, coaches, that's really important that like you have you have that coaching suit for two hours, but you also have your dad's suit or mother's suit for, for more than two hours. Yeah. So that you can like you can balance those negative emotions with something that's rather positive, I think, because there are always going to be negative emotions and people will take it more personal when it comes from the dad rather than from the coach. For sure. For sure. Let's fast forward a little bit to your decision to come to the U.S. to play college tennis. And so once you your friend came and you made this decision that this is something you wanted to do. Can you talk to us about the process that you then had to go to go through with both your schoolwork and your tennis and, you know, educating yourself around what is U.S. college tennis? Where do I go? How do I do this? Okay, so, I mean, first of all, to get to the U.S., you have to have some sort of ranking, right? You have to have because, I mean. It's easier when you're like local, like here in the US and you can, you know, everybody sees you. Yeah. When you are in in other countries, you got to have some something international and recognizable. So I started playing first tennis Europe and ITF and that's actually that's something that I think I think we need to talk about because I I am an example of a person who traveled only one tournament in my life with my parents. So mm-hmm. I played my first tournament, Tennis Europe, in in St. Petersburg. Uh, we took a train with my dad. I, I got my first points up there. We left, and uh, my my dad looked at looked at his watch. He was like, "Man, I don't know how can I, how are you gonna make it?" So for I I wanted it more than you know anybody else. So I was like, "You know what? I'm 15. I can travel by myself. Let's go. Let's make the." You know, the document that I can travel by myself through the borders and let's make it work. Like we got to do what we can do with what we have. So so then, you know, I was planning all the trips myself. I would buy the tickets for trains or buses. Usually I would hop on a bus, go to Poland or Lithuania, like six, seven hour drive. It's okay. And I would also, you know, get the hotel like. Airbnb it became later, like it was usually booking.com, right? Yeah. And get the hotel, find the cheap hotel. Sometimes I would stay in hostels, you know, it's like those places for like seven, eight dollars with six other people, and most of them are working immigrants. Yeah. I did that like plenty of times. And you know, you gotta plan this thing out, you gotta, you know, registration deadlines, everything like that. You you I did it all myself, I planned it out, I you know, I went on the tournament, they gave me some money to spend and that was it. So, I mean, that that helped to bring the costs down. And the other thing that was troublesome is 2014, I think uh, Russia took over the Crimea and we got the sanctions going on. And so since I was traveling abroad, there is exchange rate risk. That's what how people call in finance. So every when I started playing everything, when I started playing international tournaments, things got twice as expensive as they were, you know, maybe four years before I started playing international tournaments. Oh, wow. So so that put, you know, some toll on me and I had to, you know, I had to balance the budget pretty much. I had to find out ways to be like, play a turn, week-long tournament for $200. And, you know, I see kids in America going, all their family going when he is staying in Hilton and they like, they spend so much money and it's like a family event. Uh, I just sometimes understand who wants it more, the kid or the parents. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good point. And, um, you know, we talk about that a lot with U.S. tennis, right? That, you know, maybe our kids aren't having to struggle enough. And maybe that's part of why we haven't had a Grand Slam champion since Andy Roddick and on the male side and all of this. But um, I do think there's a lot to be said for giving children that independence and that trust. And it builds self-confidence in the child as well, because they realize I can do this. I'm, I'm old enough. I'm smart enough. I'm 
you know, able enough to manage these things on my own. And that confidence leaks onto the tennis court, right? It's, it's- yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, in, in the U S it's, it, it, I mean, it can be even better if you look at like after the age of 16, you can drive, right. You can have yep. a car so you can pretty much go anywhere. And like, you're more mobile than I was in Europe. I mean, good thing there is public transport like good thing there are trains and you can take bus and it's 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 way better up you know up there than it's here but here you can have a car when you're 16. so i wish i could drive when i was 16 so i could go like to the tournament i want i wouldn't have to you know think about how far my hotel is from the courts how how to you know get the public transport yeah. how to get to the course you know that was not easy sometimes i had to walk for like 40 minutes uh but yeah i think that's what i'm advocating really like i worked in dallas for two summers as a coach and i am trying to tell the parents yeah you need to at least try to give them some opportunity to be there by themselves without anybody because it teaches you a lot too. Like me, I was, I was a psycho kid. Like I would, my first tournaments, I would get at least code, one code violation warning for, uh, you know, profanity on the court. And I mean, I was bad up until I was 18. Like I wasn't, I'm still not good, but I'm working on that obviously. But I mean, one year later, I would get way less code violations because I myself realized that it doesn't give me any benefit. So you, you learn how to manage those tough situations, maybe a little bit better because then like there is nothing to suppress you from acting bad, right? Like if you, if I would curse in front of my dad, he would, you know, he wouldn't be, you know, enjoying it. But if I'm like, if there is nobody to judge, it shows your true real character. And then after that, you can maybe reflect on that and get a little bit better by yourself, realizing that, yeah, I need to get better without people telling you. And I mean, if if we all learned the advices, you know, that our parents give us, we would have been way better. But sometimes oftentimes we need to come up. It has to come with from within. And yeah. that that's, that teaches you that approach teaches you. So I think maybe maybe a couple of tournaments by yourself. It, it's, it's a good practice, to be honest. I agree. I, I actually, in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to include a link to an article that I wrote when my son traveled to his first tournament without me, took his car and went. And um, I still, I mean, it was 11 years ago, but I still remember like being so worried, you know, what did he forget? Is he going to eat? Is he going to take his water bottle on the, you know, all the things. And he was fine. Yeah, so. but you know, like they're 16. Okay, in two years they're gonna go back to college and leave you. Like, come on. They they are they are most of kids are smart enough to realize that yeah, they'll they'll have some you know problems during the process at first, but then they'll manage it way better. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah, the, you know, they will leave in one or two years. So you gotta as the parents, you also gotta get over it. Like you also need to learn how to trust your your kid and you need to, you know, and sometimes, you know, kids aren't really responsive to their, like, I'm not really good responding to my mother when I'm abroad playing tennis because I'm actually focused on the tennis. So, and so my mother actually learned how to manage it. And she was like, just texted me like, are you alive? And I'm like, yes. And that's enough for her. She knows that, yes, I'm alive. I'm existing. So, so it's okay. Like, right. let him play tennis. <laughs> right, right, right. That's so funny. I text my son the same thing. <laughs> he's living on the other side of the world. Are you alive? I haven't heard from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. she still does that to me. She still yeah. texts me, are you alive? And I'm like, yeah. yeah, mom. I, you know, once a mom, always a mom. It can't be yeah, helped. For sure, Cannot for be sure. helped. Um, yeah. Okay, so for the college, you were saying how you needed to have a ranking so that so that you would be recognizable by the college coaches. So once you started playing these international events and started getting your ranking, um, then what did you do to start getting on the radar of the American colleges? Okay. So uh, just, it's easy. It really isn't that hard. Like people think that, oh, like, how do like people ask me, especially from different teams up there in college, most like softball or like baseball, because they're mostly American guys right. up there and girls. So how do they recruit you from like for I'm like, 
I mean, there is internet exists. Like people want to maximize <laughs> their team yeah. level so that they go on YouTube, they get lots of agents texting them with videos of players, with rankings that I, I didn't have an agent. I just, I did it all myself. But yeah, like that's what you do. You gotta like, you gotta spend some time, but it really isn't that hard. You to record the video, you text all like what I, I texted all the coaches in, on the South, like Florida, I'm, my favorite state would be like Florida, Georgia, Texas. That's where I, because I want the warm weather. I was tired of playing indoors for nine months. So well, that's what you do. You text people, you text them. Here is your English exam result. Here is your SAT result. Oh, SAT is actually another story we can talk about later. Okay. Uh, here's here is my video. Here is my UTR. Here is my here is my national rank. I didn't have, but here is my tennis Europe ranking. Here is my ITF juniors ranking. So it's not. I mean, when in internet world, it's it's really isn't that that hard. So no wonder that sixty percent of D one D two is international because yeah. they want to recruit people. So they want to make their team better. Yeah, yeah. And so where you are now? Um, UT Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, UT Texas. Tyler. Yep. Which Tyler, Texas, for those of you watching this or listening to this that don't know where it is, it's not a very big town. It's not Dallas. It's not Houston. It's not Austin. It's it's a pretty small town. Um, there is a junior college that yeah. is incredibly used to have like one of the top tennis teams in the still, country still 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 very high teams. yes still like top two top one top two so the Tyler has a lot of tennis history right so it's not even though it's a small town it's not a small tennis town is what I'm trying to get yeah at. um so you are there your team at UT Tyler is 100% international correct why why do you think that is? Uh, so first of all, what I what I notice about, well, we have two girls that are American on the woman's side, okay. but like really, uh, what are the rules? What are the playing rules? We have four and a half scholarships per team for the men's side, and we have uh, full full funding for the women's side. Title nine. So. I think a lot of that is valuing the opportunity that's provided. I think that, first of all, in Europe, if you go to college, you will spend a lot of time on lectures. Like at least in Russia, you can spend time from nine to five, like all lectures. Here, I think the system works a lot in the favor of a student and in like it gives the student responsibility to study by yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you are smart enough, like I, I had today, I had only one class, two actually, but... Mm -hmm. Like you can, it's not every day for eight to 10 hours, right? So it's one class, two classes a day. Yes, it's packed. So you have to study, you have to pay attention, but it's not as, you know, time consuming. And I love it really. So this is the only place in the world where uh, you can actually play tennis more. Like you can practice, you can, you have practice three to four hours, two, three, four hours and still get a valid degree. But most of the guys, they want to play more and they understand if I go to university in my country, then I, tennis is done. So I, I'd love to have four more years of the things, thing that I love the most, which is tennis. So, so that's very, very appealing. And the second thing, what I, what I noticed from my coaching perspective, I've spent, you know, some time uh, in Dallas coaching, you know, high level juniors and uh, their parents, parents, don't they have the opportunity already like they know they are usually quite rich because they play tennis right so that they can send their kid to school and what they think is how good the school is mm. like for us like let's say some most people will go back home who cares if it's ut austin or ut tyler if you're somewhere in netherlands or germany where you every everything that you're potential employer will see is a degree from American university, which is really good. That's, that's the thing here. There is some sort of, oh, UT Tyler isn't that good. I should have gone to UT Austin. UT Austin is cooler. It's more respectable. And I think that that stops many 
many you know good american players from actually enjoying the game enjoying the valuing the college tennis as it is uh, the, and that pressure also societal pressure like i don't know how the american school system works but a lot of schools they they like post their kids going oh he goes to Baylor he goes to Harvard he goes to this it's really cool to go to prestigious school but it's not as cool like how are how are your smart friends going to look at you when they go to Harvard and you go to UT Tyler right so so there is also societal pressure on going to a cooler school but what i think is like right now like to be honest wherever you get your bachelor's, I think it's pretty much the same. Yeah, You can go to the library and you can learn. It's not about that. It's where you get your PhD or master's that may matter a little bit more. Right. But, you know, and also on what terms are you going to the school? Are you going to, are you on the full ride or are you just happy to be accepted? So if it's pretty much the same degree, whether it's bachelor's or or bachelor from UT Tyler or UT Austin, but you can get UT Tyler for free and pay 20K for UT Austin just for some sort of respect. Why would you go to UT Austin if you look at things that way? Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a refreshing perspective that is lost here in the States. And I, I think you've nailed it. I think there's a lot of pressure to be at a name brand school and you know, this is, I've been on this mission for several years now to help families expand their search and don't just look at the power five schools, look outside of that, look at division two, look at division three, look at junior colleges, look at NAIA schools. There are some amazing tennis programs at these other schools that may not be on your radar and may not have the cachet of UT Austin or Stanford or Harvard, but you're still getting the same quality degree and maybe a better tennis experience. Yeah. And also, I think that is like it would be good for people to shift their experience from the college education itself. For, for what I learned, like I'm a senior now, it's not about the degree, it's about what you learn learn about yourself and what kind of person you become after college. It's a process of self-search and it's it's like my universe does a really good job of allowing me to, you know, look for myself, like find things I love, find what's interesting for you. I mean, I'm a person, I'm I'm majoring in economics, but I have two minors, one in minor one in finance and one in math. So, so like you can, you can, the, the great thing about U.S. college system is that you can tailor your education for your needs. It's way more flexible than back in Eastern Europe. So yeah, definitely look at, look at schools as the opportunity to grow, not as the certificate of completion. Hmm. That's really interesting. What are you planning to do with your degrees? When when you graduate in the spring, what's next for you? I think I think working in my profession, trying because I've never worked as an you know data analyst. Like I'm thinking, you need to you know learn how to, you know at least I've spent four years doing different things. So I would love to try it, see if I like corporate America or no. But then I will probably go back to school, go a master's degree, become a GA, get my master's and, you know, coach. I like coaching as well. I never take out this as my as my plan as well. You know, I, I love helping people. I love, that's why I'm actually here, because I have something to, to share. So I love coaching. I love I love being on the court and I love helping people as well. So. Maybe I'll become a coach, but maybe I'll just be stuck in corporate America and be playing tennis occasionally. So you never know. That's not so bad either way. So yeah. you said we you said we needed to talk about the SAT. What do we need to talk yeah. about? Yeah. So so I think I can also be an example of somebody who uh, wants it more and wants to get where they want to get. So uh, first of all, it started with TOEFL. Maybe, you know, it's an exam for yeah. English knowledge, English as a second language test. And uh, and every so, international student has to have that test in now, order to now attend. Now it's a little more flexible. You can have oh, different tests. 
you can have a little you can have different tests but you has still have to have a proof of having ability to speak english all right that's necessary speak so, and understand right yeah yeah of course at at the university level sure so uh i was you know studying english in school in my like you know from second grade up until graduation and uh you know i wanted to you know i thought, I, thought I realized i want to go to us so i need to learn english better than that and uh we also didn't have money for tutor like uh, it was maybe like ten dollars per hour for tutoring and i just i mean realized no i mean it's gonna work so what i did uh ordered books on amazon uh toyful preparation let's go just one hour every day for the summer just if you want to learn learn how to pronounce words read it out loud if you want to like you want to solve the test solve the test you don't have to have a person teaching you you can also teach yourself you can take the responsibility and believe me or not if you're going to spend time on that you will learn like you will learn how to take this test and i got very good grade on that and next thing i remember it was covid right mm. and uh, so i knew i had to take sat it would allow me to get in and it allow, would allow me to get some scholarships as well so and the score the passing score was really low for the school i wanted to go because my first option wasn't UT Tyler. I had plenty of D1 offers, but it was hard money-wise. <laughs> so uh, SAT, same thing. I only had one month. So, and I just, I studied. Like I still did, I just studied by myself. I realized that, you know, math on the SAT is easy. Like it's not hard. You can drill. It's more about drilling rather than actually understanding the concept, which is not the best exam to have, but it is what it is. So. You don't have to have a good tutor. Like I passed the exam better than 75% of Americans studying for one month without any kind of tutor, without being in American school at all, like without being in that system. And I see kids taking it like three or four or five times. And they, it's for us, I mean, national exam, it's one shot. You have one shot to perform. If you don't perform, you either go to the army as a man or uh, wait for, you know, wait one year as a woman, just wait. And then you have one other shot, but you wow. can't pay to, you can't pay to take it again. So that's also very important. So there was a lot of pressure on you. There was, yeah, I started like crazy. Like I, I, I was really focused on that because I knew I, I wanted, like, if I want it, I, I better make it. And I, my result was higher than everybody expected. So, you know, and also I had to, it like, it wasn't in my hometown. I had to drive to Poland, take a bus to Poland and do it up there. Like I, I toyful in, in Warsaw, SAT in Gdansk. So it was, you know, it, it was an effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a different process than American kids go through. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget what a gift it is to have this opportunity for our children to go to university, to play the sport they love and to have some of the costs, you know, covered by the university um, or by other scholarships. I, you know, we forget that it's not like that for everybody around the world. And um, I think it's really cool that you've been able to share that experience with us. So when you're talking to these American kids that you're coaching in your off time, what, in your opinion, are the most important lessons that you want to impart to them while they're still in junior tennis before they go off to college or go off and pursue a professional tennis career, um, what do you think is are some of the most important things you can teach them? Yeah. So first of all, I I notice different ways. I think I think American kids, those are on the top, uh, are very good problem solvers. I I notice that they are they are playing the game well but uh they are not as structured they are not as uh organized as the many other guys that are in the you know in europe or let's in spain especially well, spanish guys a lot of them are very they have the system that is very 
not necessarily rigid, but it values the hard work more than anybody, any other system, I think. And I mean, look at Rafa, look at David Ferrer, look at Carlos Moya, look at Alcaraz, Carreño Busta, all of those guys, they are incredible hard workers. And I mean, clay courts teach that too, but that's what I'm trying to, to put in my students' brain is that you have to organize yourself. You got to bring your water. You got to bring your racket. You got to string your racket. You got to bring your bag. You got to do it all yourself. You got to be on top of everything that will make you better. You got to do the simple things better. There, there is nothing exceptional. It's, it's a lot of repetition, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of suffering. You got to allow yourself to suffer, and you got to allow yourself to suck at tennis at suck at things that you are not good at. I mean, I had the wrist injury. I couldn't hit back and for a year and a half and I got my surgery. And in between those times, all I did, I was slicing and my slicing wasn't good. I learned you got to improve what you got to do, what you can with what you have at this exact moment. And so if I had to slice and go to the net more, yeah, it, I was forced to do that and I learned how to do it better. So you got to allow yourself to suck. You got to stay organized and you got to you got to suffer to get better. Those are pretty much my my three key points. Where do the parents come into this in your mind? Oh, actually parents love that. Like especially Asian parents, they they love that because they I mean, I think Asian parents grew up in a different environment and they they see the passion that I have for the sport. And they see that, you know, it's rigorous and it's tough and it should be tough. And believe me or not, I mean, Asian girls that I coached are one of the toughest girls I've seen. Like I have and and they grew up in that environment as well. And that's why they bring me, you know, those students and they work, they work, they, they, no matter whatever it takes, like, and I mean, the expectations from the parents are also pretty high. Like, I mean, I remember it was like hundred degrees in Dallas. And I'm like moving that girl side to side. She runs, she she works hard, right? Like 10 balls in a row side to side. And she kind of like puts her racket on the court, right? And kind of like uses this as like a rest stick, right? And the mother was like, back straight, back straight. Come on, breathe. <laughs> so so a lot of parents value that. A lot of parents value that, yeah, it's it should be tough. It should be grueling. I mean, they respect that. Actually, a lot of parents respect that. They see that there is a different perspective on tennis. Like, you want to have fun winning, right? That's how, like, you want to have fun winning. So you sure. got to put the sacrifice in and you got to you gotta believe that, you know, that's what makes you better. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's really important for the parents that are watching or listening to this to really listen to what Igor is sharing here that... You know, it's very difficult as the parent to watch your child suffer, to watch your yeah. child be sad, yeah. to watch your child be frustrated or stressed out or anxious, but it's the way they grow. It's it's our job to allow them to go through these tough times so that they come out the other side stronger, better, able to accomplish what they want to accomplish, more capable, more confident. And it is one of the hardest things I think about being the parent of a child pursuing anything at a high level, whether it's yeah. academics, music, dance, sport, it doesn't matter what it is. They have to go through these phases where, <laughs> to use your words, where you suck, um, but you have to push through that in order to come out the other side, a stronger, more accomplished performer of that activity. And yeah, it's really hard. It's really it is. Hard. It is brutal. Yeah. Like sometimes you want to do it like you want to do it for your child, but the importance is to actually let them let them do it. Yeah. Agreed. Let Agreed. them do it. Let them figure it out. Let them see how how tough it is and let them toughen up by themselves. Yeah, that's that's the way to go to. And and to that end, you know, you've talked a lot about um, how being organized and making sure everything's in your bag and you have your water and this and that. As parents, it's very tempting when we see our kids start to walk out the door and the water bottle sitting on the kitchen counter and they're not even thinking about it. It's very tempting to say, wait, 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 you forgot your water. 
don't do it. Like let them mess this up at a time where it's not so crucial, you know, where we can still like recover from it. Um, Let them make the mistakes when it doesn't count because you don't want them to make the mistake at the big national tournament that you've paid thousands of dollars to, to travel to, right? You want them to make the mistake early on and learn the lesson and, and grow from that. I think that's really important. Igor, I have one last question for you before we wrap this up. And that is how are your parents handling you being so far away with what's happening in your home country and, um, you know, the fact that you're not there and you've got this younger brother at home, how is your family managing all that? And how are you managing all that? I, I, I mean, they always supported my decision of coming to the US and they always saw it as a big and really good opportunity. So it was ne- like, and I love here. Like I, I, I love being independent. I love being there. I don't, I've never got homesick in the last three years, to be honest. So, and I'm, I mean, I'm 21 years old. I'm, I'm old enough to manage it by myself. So, I mean, I think the culture is maybe a little bit different because yeah, I mean, he just has to go there and he just has to figure it out. So they just accepted that. And, you know, I called them every once in a while. They call me, my mother texts me whether I'm alive or not. And I always say yes, but I mean, they are fine. Like every, like how, how did you live before me? Like when I wasn't, when I wasn't in plan, how did you guys live before me? So, you know, then you can live after me as well. If, if I'm not there, you can still live without me because somehow you did that 15 years ago. So, I mean, they, they, they value my, my, you know, goals and ideas and they value what I do here. So they, they are pretty good with that. And of course, you know, I want to meet them. I'm trying to get them to my graduation. So, you know, that, you know, trying to, it's, it's good. And I would love to see them, but given the current situation, it's just not optimal. Right. 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 Yeah. It makes my heart hurt a little bit for your mom and dad, because I know they're so proud of you and I know they want to be here to see these things. And yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Do you stay in touch pretty close with your brother? Uh, well, 10 years different. It's, it's, it's tough. Like, you yeah. know, when I, I'm like 21 and he just, you know, starts almost getting into, you know, like teenage years kind of. So yeah, I'm just helping him out when I, whenever he he gets the question and stuff like that. I call, you know, but uh, not as much to be honest. I would like it to be more, but I think it will take time. Like one, once he's 16, 17, we probably will have you know more connections and you know conversations because you know he's 12 now and I'm 21. We don't really have too much in common, but yeah. as time goes on, for sure. Does he play tennis? Yeah, he does. And he is completely different than me. And uh, I don't know how my dad manages that after me because he's a different person. So he needs to find ways to, you know, make that work as well. But you never know. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. He's young still. Yeah. Yeah. 12 years old, still young. Yeah. Yeah. Igor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And I hope we get to meet in person sometime. Um, That would be really fun. If you travel out to California, definitely let me know. Well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, I wish you all the best in your senior year. I hope you have a great season of tennis, a great last year of college, and um, definitely stay in touch. I'd love to touch base with you. Maybe you know, after you graduate and see what the plans are. All right. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to be here and talk with you. I really enjoyed that. I was pretty nervous to be honest, but <laughs> you did <laughs> you great. very good, very comfortable for me. So thank you for that. And thank you for everybody who listened up until this point. Yeah, for sure. And if people want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, I mean, my email, my Instagram, my Instagram would be probably the easiest one. Okay. And we'll have those links in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So everybody be sure and check that out. Um, If you want your child to work with Igor, maybe over school breaks, um, over 
over the summer. He's in the Dallas area during those times. So you can reach out and, and maybe make arrangements for that to happen. That'd be great. We'd love to send some business to you, Igor, and yeah, thank yeah, you. And help you fund your, your time here in the States. So um, again, thanks so much. And to my audience, thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.